Well, again, good morning. Welcome to Big Valley Grace Community Church here on the Modesto campus. Welcome to everybody who's with us in the venue right now, and as well as everyone who's watching online. It's good to be at church together. Pastor Rick and I swapped places today, and so Pastor Rick is preaching at our series campus, and I'm here with you. And so today we're going to be in Psalm 92, if you want to take your Bibles and turn to there. And before we get into the message, though, I just want to take a moment to pray uh, and specifically, I want to pray for Pastor Glenn, who is a pastor at the church called The House in our town. He had a, a real serious health issue that ended up hospitalized in serious condition this week. And, and the last I heard, he's making some progress. But we want to take a moment to pray for him and pray for The House as they're gathering uh, for worship also. So let me, let me take a moment to pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for who you are. You're awesome, and you're holy, and you're loving, and you're wonderful, and you're good, and, and everything you do is right. And God, uh, we just want to lift up our brother in Christ, Pastor Glenn. We want to lift up the house church, and God, we just ask that, uh, that you would heal Pastor Glenn with whatever it is that's going on, and, and God, that you would bring him to health and restoration. Lord, we pray for the worship gatherings that are focused on you today at the house. And Lord, would the, the church family uh, just honor you and worship you, bring gifts to you, lift up the name of Christ there. And we pray the same thing for us here, God. Would we honor you in everything that we say and everything that we do, Lord? Would the name of Christ be exalted? And we pray this in that name, in the name of Jesus and all God's family said. Amen. Amen. Well, as you uh, open to Psalm 92, uh, I think it would also be helpful to utilize your note sheet that you have in the printed program this morning. You know, a question that we often ask one another, I was asked it already this morning, you probably have also, but it's this question, how are you? How are you? We, we ask it in different ways. How you doing? How's life going? What you been up to? But it's all the same question, right? It's the first thing we say to people when we see them. How are you? And I find it interesting that most of us enjoy responding with one-word answers. Okay, how are you? Good. My kids and I were laughing last night. My 13-year-old son, he always went, hey, how you doing, Eiler? Pretty good, pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. He says the same thing every time. I'm doing okay. Uh, how are you? Tired. How are you? Stressed. Right? And then if people are feeling extra optimistic or they're here at church, they might lean into a different answer. Hey, how you doing? Blessed. Stressed and blessed sound very similar, but they mean something quite different. The experience of being stressed and the experience of being blessed are on the opposite ends of the spectrum, really. And you know, from a Christian worldview, which is a worldview that says, hey, I understand the scriptures to be the truth and what the scriptures teach to be true, and we understand that if someone says that they're blessed, we recognize it probably is an indication that they acknowledge that there is someone who has blessed them, that they have been blessed. And as we look at the scriptures, we see who that person is. It's clearly God. He is the ultimate blesser. He's the ultimate blesser. And when we recognize that God is the ultimate blesser, and he is the one who is blessing us, 
it causes us to be very thankful. It causes us to develop gratitude that grows and grows in our lives. And I would, I would maybe describe thankfulness in this way. To be thankful is to acknowledge the blessing of God. To be thankful. What is to be thankful? It's to acknowledge that God has blessed you. You know, here we are, days after the Thanksgiving holiday, and I don't know what it's like for your family, but man, we rushed towards Christmas right away. 7.30 a.m. Friday morning, I already had the tree up, all right? Because my wife told me to do it, all right? And that's why I did it, all right? And, and man, it's, you know, but we, we don't want, you know, Thanksgiving is a holiday. Thankfulness is not a holiday. Thankfulness is to be a distinguishing mark of a Christ follower every day, all year round, that we would be grateful, we would have gratitude, we would develop thankfulness that's ongoing and growing and increasing. And you know, we find this idea of God blessing really early in scripture and he blesses a number of things in Genesis chapter one and then in Genesis chapter two, we, we recognize that he, he blesses something new. And before we get into Psalm 92, I wanna set up uh, Psalm 92 by looking at a couple passages. In Genesis chapter two, so, so Genesis chapter one deals with the first six days of creation. God is creating day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. Genesis chapter two describes God enters into a different kind of activity on day seven. It says, thus, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And so verses one and two, they explain that God had finished the first six days of creation. Then halfway verse two, we see this, it's introduced, God does something new. He rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So during the first six days, God is actively working. He's actively creating. And during the seventh day of creation, God is actively resting. And verse three describes the active resting that God enters into on creation day seven. It says, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done. In creation. So during creation day seven, God transitions from active work to active rest. And the restful activity that God enters into is described with these words, blessed and holy. So in the act of resting that God enjoys, he blesses and he makes holy. And God does all this while resting. God accomplishes a lot more while resting than I accomplish while resting. You may feel similar. You know, if we travel then in history past creation week to the time where God's dealing with the nation of Israel in the Exodus, we see the Ten Commandments and we see this idea come back again. And in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, it says this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner. Sojourner is someone traveling from a different land who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So here we find that creation day seven has a proper name. It's the Sabbath. The Sabbath is God's chosen day for rest during which he blesses and he makes holy. In addition, we find that during creation day seven that God is modeling for us. He was modeling for his people what he wanted them to do every seven days and that was rest from work as a Sabbath unto the Lord your God. So this Sabbath, six days of work and then a day of rest, making seven days total, this is where we get our concept of a week. Let me unpack this for you. Uh, think about this. How, how do we have the calendar day? Well, the calendar day is determined, you know, approximately for the one rotation, right, of the planet Earth on its axis. And then think about our, our calendar month. How do we get that? Well, that's from the, you know, lunar moon revolving around the Earth, and, and our months vary because the, the, the orbit varies, and then the Earth's orbit around the sun varies, so we have months that are different lengths. That kind of makes sense. And then how about our calendar year? Well, our calendar year, right, is the t length of time required for the Earth to then orbit around the sun, and it doesn't come out to exact days, so every four years, we make up for it with February 29th. And if February 29th is your birthday, you're only a quarter of your age, right? So we see the calendar day, the calendar month, and the calendar year, it's clearly works with the sun, the created sun, the created earth, and the created moon. What about the week? How is the week determined? Well, the week is determined because of Genesis chapter one and two. That's where we get the concept of the calendar week. And why do we have that? Well, it's for the purpose of work and rest. And God institutes the calendar week. So why was it important? Why did God do this six days of work and then a day of rest? Well, Jesus gives us that answer in Mark chapter two. In verses 27 and 28, and Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Now in that context, Jesus is basically saying, I'm the son of man, I can do whatever I want on any day I want. But just notice that first line, the Sabbath was made for man. Why does the Sabbath exist? The Sabbath was made for man. It, the calendar week is meant to be a gift. The week is a gift that God gives to you for the purpose of a day of rest after six days of work, that you would have a Sabbath to Lord your God. So when we understand that God actively rests and in his act of resting, he blesses and he makes holy, then we realize that the Sabbath is a gift that is meant to bless us and to make us holy, that God is working out our holiness as he blesses us. Also, understanding that the Sabbath is meant to be a gift, it helps us have a rhythm in our life to develop our gratitude and to increase our thankfulness as we take a break from work and we realize the blessing of God 
in our life. And so now we're gonna get into our outline. And I'll, I'll state it this way as we look at Psalm 92 and unpack that today. Every believer can develop thankfulness by receiving days of Sabbath. It's, it's a gift that God wants to give you. And, and how do we define Sabbath? We'll define it this way uh, for today. That the Sabbath is a holy day. It's blessed by God. It is given to man for the purpose of resting from work. So as we look at Psalm 92, uh, we come across that this is a unique psalm. And in the title, it helps us understand uh, why it is unique. And the title of the psalm is this, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. So as we unpack this, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath, we learn three quick things before we actually get into the psalm about what this is. So it is a psalm contained within the scriptures, which means it is a sacred text that is meant to be matched with, with rhyme or music or melody. It is a song, which means it's also a sacred vocal that is meant to be sung out loud. And it is for the Sabbath, which means it's a sacred text that has a sacred vocal that's meant to be sung out loud on the seventh day of the week as a Sabbath unto the Lord. This is a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. Now, as we unpack this psalm, there is so much in here. It's full of imagery. It's, it's full of meaning. And my encouragement to you would be this simple. Read it again this week. Read it over. Open your Bible and read it again. And read it again. And see how God wants to give you gifts continually as he reminds you through his word how he desires to bless you. Now, today we're gonna keep our focus real tight on how this psalm kind of helps us develop our thankfulness and the lessons that we can learn through receiving Sabbath rest, okay? So this first gift that Sabbath gives, we'll, we'll call it this, we'll call it number one, that, that Sabbath is a gift that develops your practice. That God desires to give you a gift, it's Sabbath, and when he gives you this gift, it develops your practice, and we see some of these practices explained in the first few verses. And so, starting in verse one of Psalm 92, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to, de to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. So you're probably already seeing some of these practices that are, are, are coming out here. The first practice that this psalm encourages for the Sabbath is to give thanks to the Lord. It may come at no surprise that uh, I, I often sometimes can get so focused on working, right? Maybe you've been there too where the focus is, is you're trying to achieve something, you're trying to gain or obtain and we forget maybe we're not the best at celebrating what God as the provider has done already. I'm, I'm working hard trying to provide and maybe I'm missing the fact God's already worked hard to provide for me. And so, this psalm for the Sabbath, it's meant to be a regular reminder. It is good to remember 
Give thanks to the Lord. It continues in verse one to explain, uh, in addition to giving thanks, it's also good to sing praises to your name, O Lord, most high, O most high. And so this practice builds on the first. And, and during a day of rest, we slow down enough to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to his name. During the Sabbath, God's intention is to give us a gift that both develops our own gratefulness towards God and it develops our practice of exalting the name of the Lord, the name of God. And so then we get into verse two and it shows a routine. It explains a routine. To declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Consider how that very practical practice might change your day. What if tomorrow morning, it's Monday, it's everyone's favorite day of the week to wake up, right? Everyone loves waking up on a Monday morning. What if the first words that come out of your mouth tomorrow on Monday morning is, God, I declare your steadfast love. How would that change your experience of a Monday morning? It would change mine. My uh, wife tells me that my first words when, when I wake up, you know, as I'm rolling over, are really not, you know, intelligible. They're, it's more of a groan, right? You know? How would that, wow, God, I declare your steadfast love. What about the last words before you go to bed tonight? What are the last words you usually say? How would it change your experience of looking back on the day to have the last words be, God, I declare that your faithfulness has brought me through today. Wow. It's really practical. And this psalm, remember, they would, they would use it on the Sabbath every seventh day, so it would be repetitive in their life, and it's a reminder. This is a... Really good practice. Give thanks to the Lord. Sing praises to his name. Declare his steadfast love in the morning, his faithfulness at night. You know, uh, goes in in verse three then to talk about these beautiful instruments. It's meant to aid in this process. And, and, and God cares about your heart. He cares about the state of your heart. And it's amazing how God can use music to reach our heart. That beautiful music partnered with the words of God have incredible impact on our lives. It, 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 on Sunday mornings, my normal practice is I show up at the Series Community Center where our Series campus is for Big Valley Grace before the sun comes up. And when I walk in that building on Sunday, it's very different than when I walk in that building every other day. It's a government building. And on Sundays, when I walk in that building, there is Christian music playing. And there's worship music playing as our roadie team is loading in church. And it is so uplifting and it puts a smile on my face every time. And it just makes me think, God, you're so awesome. This is a government building and we're going to worship you in it today. You know, people have often said they hear a song, it reminds them of something. I remember when I first heard that song. I remember where I was. I remember what, what I was doing when I first heard that song, maybe you've had that experience too because God uses music in powerful ways. And in verse three, it just explains that, man, when we, 
when we give thanks to the Lord, when we sing praises to his name, when we, when we declare his, his love in the morning, his faithfulness at night, when we use beautiful instruments to aid in the process, verse one describes it as, it is good. It is good to have these kind of practices in our life. And verse four explains the reason for these Sabbath practices. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. These Sabbath practices help us to become joyfully aware of the active work of God. And often when we are working hard during the week, our focus can be on, I just want to get the job done because I want to be done with the job. And when we get to the Sabbath, the psalm instructs us to become glad about recognizing the completed work that God has been doing, what he's been up to, and how he is working. And so during Sabbath, we rest and we observe the activity of God. It reminds me of this incredible invitation that Jesus gives his disciples in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 30. It's a verse I've read over and over so many times in my life because it's such an encouragement to me and a beautiful invitation that Jesus extends. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Are you laboring? Are you burdened? Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Has life become a struggle are you ready to quit the job? Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Have you been working every angle and just trying to make all the ends meet? Jesus says, learn from me. Have you been stubborn? Is your pride getting in the way? I had to ask those questions because those ones were just for me. Um, Jesus says, I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart. Is the grass greener on the other side? Have you been looking to catch a break? Jesus says, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. Are you wanting to throw in the towel? Have you come to the point of exhaustion? Jesus says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's truly amazing how God set this up that one day a week would be a day of rest as a Sabbath unto the Lord that it would really be a reminder or maybe a reset or maybe a starting to have some correct spiritual practice in our life of giving thanks to him, singing to him, declaring his love, his faithfulness with beautiful music and recognizing his work. Really, really amazing. The second gift that Sabbath gives is a gift that develops your purpose or, or reminds you of your purpose. We see this in verse five as it continues. It says, how great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they're doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. So verse five now, it elevates in the psalm with how great are your works, 
O Lord, your thoughts are very deep. So in other words, the works of God are indescribable. They're great. How great. And the thoughts of God are unsearchable. They're deep. And then verse 6 and 7, it shows a contrast. And it's simply this. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. So, so what's the point here? Well, it's simple. The, the eternal God does great works and has deep thoughts. And the person who does not acknowledge that is stupid and a fool. Apparently, it's okay to say those words in church because it's right here in the text. The fool, the stupid person, thinks that through selfish wickedness, where sin and pride and greed flourish for a moment in this fallen world where it appears there's been victory for the evil, but they're a fool and they're stupid because they don't recognize their sure destruction for eternity. And then verse eight, it's kind of the hinge central point of this psalm. It resets what is our purpose. And verse eight says, but you, O Lord, are on high forever. In other words, don't get caught up in the evil of the day. Don't get so consumed with the evil that's going on all around us. Don't be so focused that all you see is the evil that is happening around you. People that with evil intentions seeming to have evil victories because it is short-lived and it is short-sighted to be consumed with that kind of focus. Instead, see God. See God. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. And then verse nine, it brings into focus clearly why we should remain steadfast, really on our purpose, which is to glorify God who is on high forever. It says, for behold, all your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish and all evildoers shall be scattered. God is on the throne and our purpose is to glorify God who is on the throne. It reminds me of how Paul instructs the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. He says, so whatever you do, whatever it is you're gonna do, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God because that is our purpose because you, O oh Lord, are on high. Isn't it amazing how God sets up this rhythm, this psalm? It's meant to be read once a week on the Sabbath to remind us. It resets our purpose. What are we here for? You, O oh Lord, are on most high. And we're here for him. The third gift that the Sabbath gives is it's the gift that develops your perspective. Maybe changes your perspective, maybe gives you a new perspective. We see this in verses 10 and 11. It says, but you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. And so God is the one who lifts up and he uses this illustration of, a, of a, um, a wild animal, this wild ox, that's saying the same way that a wild ox has been lifted up, God, you have done that 
for me. In the same way that, that oil is refreshing and rejuvenating, it, it's, it's used symbolically a lot in scripture for anointing and, and the presence of God. In that same way, all this meaning that fresh oil has it's, that's pure, God, you do that to me. You treat me in that way. You refresh me. And then it says that while God exalts some high, others are brought low before him because God is in control and God can do whatever that pleases him because he's sovereign. This reminds me of how God's uh, sovereignty is really displayed in such a loving manner in the gospels. And Jesus says this in John 6, 37. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And so God the Father gives people to God the Son as a gift, and all the people that God the Father gives to God the Son will come to Jesus. And whoever comes to Jesus, Jesus will never cast out. God is in control. God is on the throne. God is sovereign. Yet when we're so busy working hard and we forget to take a break, and Sabbath and rest before the Lord, we can forget this. And so God includes this in a psalm, a song for the Sabbath to remind us. And we all need the gift of Sabbath rest to reset our purpose or to remind us of our perspective that we understand, you know what, God's in control. In the hurry and in the hustle, I can forget God's in control. But slowing down and taking a moment to rest as a Sabbath under the Lord. Okay, God, thank you. You're reminding me that you're in control. I needed that. Thank you, God. The fourth, Sabbath is a gift that develops your product. That develops what comes out of your life. It's like a sponge. You put a sponge into liquid and you pull it out and then you squeeze that sponge. Whatever's in that sponge is gonna come squeezing out. Well, when life squeezes you, what's the product that comes squeezing out of your life? And we continue in verse uh, 12. It says, the righteous flourish like a palm tree. They grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. And they are ever full of sap and green. To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. I really love this last section. It describes this experience of the righteous person. So verse 12, the righteous flourish like the palm tree. We, we see this truth being played out in our own area. Back a few years ago when there was the drought and, man, all the soil got hard, the roots of the trees and the bark got all messed up. Right? I lost 22 trees on our property, 22 trees we had to take out. My neighbor's palm trees, still there today. It just withstood it. It made it through the drought. All my trees had, we see this in our own area, right? We see orchards being replanted. Those trees had lost fruitfulness. So they're gonna replant so there's fruitful trees again. That's not how it is with the saint of God. 
You are not plucked out and replanted. It says that the righteous flourish like a palm tree and they grow like the cedar in Lebanon. They're planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. You do not age out of spiritual production. You do not grow too old in Christ to bear fruit for Christ. Aged righteous men and aged righteous women are to be pillars of strength for the church family. Sources of wisdom and encouragement because like a palm tree that's made it through the drought, they stand tall and they can tell you about the faithfulness that God has, the goodness that God has, the way that God has shown to be so good and so faithful to them and they stand tall above the rest. What an incredible encouragement for, for that God. This is what God has for us. This is what he wants for our lives. It says about the, that they are planted in the house of the Lord. You know, in, in this context here with an auditorium, what we have for a worship center and, and our, our, if you live in a, you know, in a suburban area with subdivisions, we kind of lose concept of this fact that there's this tree planted in the courts of our God. But you have to think you have to think that there's like a wall. There's a walled courtyard. And in the middle of that walled courtyard is a fruit tree, a beautiful fruit tree that's bearing beautiful fruit and it's planted right next to a well. That's the concept here that God protects you with the walls and he nourishes you with the well. And to be planted in the house of the Lord, to be a part of the family of God, that God is gonna nourish you and he is going to protect you. And you will continue to bear fruit for him. What an incredible encouragement. Old age is not a dirty word. Getting old is not looked negatively upon in the scriptures. They still bear fruit in old age. They're ever full of sap and green. Wow. Old age in Christ is an incredible gift. Now, what's the purpose of spiritual production? Verse 15 explains, to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. The righteous person is to grow with spiritual usefulness as they age in the Lord. The goodness of God, that God is their strong fortress. They are a faithful declaration, a testimony to the goodness and the work of God. Jesus said it this way in John 15, verse eight. By this, my father's glorified. You wanna know how to glorify God with your life? This is how, that you bear much fruit and you prove, you give testimony that you are one of my disciples. Isn't it amazing how good it is to be reminded of this? Which is exactly why the psalm was written. It's a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. We're meant to be reminded of these things. A Sabbath is a gift that develops your practice, it develops your purpose, it develops your perspective, and it develops your product. And the Christian who is receiving regular Sabbath rest as a gift from God is gonna be continually developing thankfulness because they've slowed down to receive the gifts and become aware of the gifts that God's wanting to give them. And so they grow in their gratitude. 
they develop their thankfulness. I want to invite our communion team to come and prepare to serve. And um, they're going to start handing out the elements when the song comes here in just a moment. If you're in the venue, uh, in just a moment when, the, when we have the songs, the venue team is going to lead you. And you'll come forward in the venue to get your elements But as the communion team is getting in place, ready to serve, we're going to end our time here remembering Jesus through the bread and the cup. And I believe that this psalm really sets us up well to do that. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the first line of the psalm and the last line of the psalm, and I'm going to put them together, and we're going to see how that really sets our mind up well, our heart up well, to think about communion. It says this in the first line and the last line. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Let's say that out loud together. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. It is because there was no unrighteousness in Jesus Christ that he became the sufficient sacrifice for our sins on the cross. That is what the cup and the bread and the cup are representing, that Jesus gave his body, his perfect body, his sinless body, and he shed his blood, his perfect blood, his sinless blood, to be a sacrifice for us that we might enter into a new covenant with God, a new relationship with God, and it was all made possible because there is no unrighteousness found in Jesus Christ. He was the sufficient sacrifice for our sin. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. He is my rock. He's what we stand on. He is our sure foundation, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Here in the worship center, the the elements will be passed here in just a moment. Have that bread and that cup in your hand. In in the venue, you'll come forward. you'll, You'll get the cup and the bread. My encouragement is this. Take some time to give thanks to the Lord to celebrate that he is your rock, to praise him, that there is no unrighteousness found in him. Remember the body, remember the blood of Jesus. And then when you have observed him and you have given thanks to him on your own here in the worship center and on your own in the venue, you can take communion and you can celebrate the Lord's Supper on your own after you've taken a moment Let me read this line again, and then we'll pray. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Father God, Lord, we love you. Thank you that you love us so much that you put Psalm 92 in the scriptures to be a regular reminder to us of the good gifts you want to give us, of how you want to bless us, and how much you love us, how you protect us, and how you nourish us. And as we come right now to celebrate you, to celebrate your body, your blood that was shed for us, and to remember Jesus Christ, Father God, Lord, we pray that we would honor you greatly, for you, O Lord, are on high. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's family said, amen.